Well, hello, friends. My name is Taylor, and I run Game Closet, a podcast on the RPG Academy Network. And I'm here to talk to you about Cooking with Dice. Cooking with Dice aims to gamify your kitchen by combining classic RPGs and live-action cooking. Choose a character and level them up chef de cuisine using a set of magical formulas and thousands of variations. Roll the dice to create the perfect dish for your next game night or family dinner. You can find more at www.cookingwithdice.com. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today I have brought along a special guest co-host, Calum, from the Released podcast, proud member of the RPG Academy network. Calum, welcome back to the faculty meetings. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. What do you mean? Was Synergy a faculty meeting? Or are you just referring to the first recording of this episode which you blew? <laughs> Uh, all of the above. So uh, I have had you on for a synergy before, and we did record an episode uh, somewhat similar to what this one will probably be. Uh, but that was right when we first started using Zoom, trying to get the Twitch thing started, and it totally destroyed my audio. It was unusable, and I feel really bad. So this is sort of the makeup session, which only took, what, seven months to get back to? Yeah, well, it's been uh, seven very busy months, so... Uh, yeah, for uh, for you and myself, so not just me and not just you. But I'm very glad to have you back on. Uh, of course, I'm very excited to uh, have you as part of the network, so it's always exciting to have uh, some of the other people onto the show. So today's episode is actually going to be Faculty Meeting Episode 119, The Rules Matter. It almost hurt to say that. I, I, I'd like to amend that a tiny bit already. I, I think it's not... It's not only the rules, but it's also um, the setting. It's stuff we decide to abide to or not. Fair, fair. In my head, that was all-encompassing, and we will explain that later, yep. but that's, that is fine. Uh, but before we get too far into things, we always like to take a step back and remind everybody why we are here. Kale has joined me today so we can talk about our experiences with role-playing games, and we hope that through these conversations, we can share some of the experience we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that, is, that we feel is pretty universal. And Kale, what is that one piece of advice? If you are having fun, you are doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Except this episode, we're going to talk about how that's not always true. No, it's true. It's uh, just <laughs> considering another approach to having even more fun. Right. But before discussing that, do we have any special announcements to make about something today? Uh, a couple things that I wanted to talk about, uh, probably biggest on a lot of people's minds. Well, <laughs> let me re rephrase that. Probably the biggest on a few people's minds uh, are the updates to Patreon and how they are changing how they are going to charge their fees. Uh, essentially, if you are one of our patron supporters or anybody's patron supporters, podcaster or otherwise, up until this point, all the fees that the 
Patreon absorbed from charging people's credit cards was passed on to the creators. So if I had 50 patrons and I got $300 in pledges, I would probably only get about 240 of that. Some of that from fees, some of them from Patreon taking their cut, so on and so forth. So they have changed that. So they are now going to process or charge those fees to the patrons. So if you pledge, for example, a dollar, because we have a, quite a few number of people who pledge one dollar to support our show, rather than your charge being an actual dollar, it's going to be a dollar plus a 35 cent charge plus two percent of the of the pledge amount, which works out to like a dollar thirty seven dollar thirty eight for a dollar pledge. So if you support a whole bunch of people, like if you support 50 people at a dollar each every month, your cost is just going to go up about 40%, which uh, I think is a little crazy myself. I have heard some, there's some mud in the water about those charges. Because my understanding is if you have five $1 pledges, each of those $1 pledges will be charged the 35 cents and the 2%. Some people have told me that's not true and that you still only get charged those fees once. But the way I read it, you don't. So I'm not sure. So, Caleb, do you have any thoughts uh, about this change or anything that you would want to say? Well, uh, I'm waiting to see how things are turning out and if Patreon is reacting to uh, the feedback it's getting from content creators and uh, patrons. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's puzzling. Personally, I always do, I was always more comfortable having a lot of people contributing a tiny bit to the show rather than having a, a few patrons contrib contributing a lot with, I don't know, 10 or $20 uh, per month. So it's, um, it's a bit, uh, upsetting that the, the system now in place apparently discourages people to support a little a lot of projects and instead encourages them to support a lot a single project what i've been telling people is that maybe consider supporting this project for six months and then this other one for six months rather than supporting everything at once at the same time but it makes everything difficult in terms of you know having goals and rewards and uh building this project together with the patrons. So, yeah, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I will see all the the field is clearing and uh, or what are what what is being confirmed or not. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It's disappointing for me personally. And, and this is something I've sent to Patreon. I am fine with with the fees. I, I, I don't have any problem with me taking them instead of the, the patrons. Um, I was fine with that setup. And I think the thing that frustrates a lot of people, myself included, is that if they're doing it because they as a company are not making money, then okay, you're, you're, you're a business. Your job is to make money for yourself, for your employees, for any stockholders and such. I get that to a point. But when they announced the change, they, they presented it as this revolutionary new system that's going to win-win for everybody. It's going to make everybody happier. And it's made nobody happier so it just seems like a misstep from a PR standpoint. If they just come out and said, hey, this is the way we got to do this, it would have sucked, but it would have at least been uh, genuine. And I think the disingenuous is part of the reason why I am not happy with it. So for anyone who's a patron of mine currently, thank you for all the support that you've given before until now. If this causes you to change your pledge or to drop a pledge, I get it. I No hard feelings. 
please just take a moment to send a message to Patreon to let them know why you are dropping it so that we can keep adding to this sort of outrage that this may not be the best step for them and see if we can get it changed. Um, if you have not yet joined Patreon, maybe wait a little while, see if we get this figured out. Cause there's a lot of creators who are looking now for alternatives. I know Kickstarter is coming out with their own Patreon clone called drip, but it's, it's not out yet, but it's going to be out next year, I believe. So there could be some mass migration to another form of support processing away from Patreon because Patreon does a lot of cool stuff. That's why so many people are there. It allows you to easily interact with your supporters and, and give them the rewards and, and all that kind of good stuff. And there's always just other ways like writing a review is awesome. Uh, a PayPal donation works, you know, those types of things. So anything else from you, Caleb, before we move on? I would just say, just like uh, it's one of the motto of the RPG Academy, things work better when uh, communication is happening between people. Whatever the reason why you are leaving uh, a project, uh, it can be ours or any, please send to the creator your, your comments on uh, whether you're doing it because of the situation or because of something about their content. Uh, I'm personally very keen to hear from people about stuff I could improve or make it more appealing for them or just, you know, being reassured that the reason they're leaving is just because they were considering doing it only for a little while because, again, there's a lot of nice projects and they want to support somebody else uh, now. And I am super thankful, even if you're leaving, that you have taken, um, you that you made the move to support, uh, well, the Rollies podcast uh, for a while financially. Absolutely. And uh, we just want to make people happy in the end. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Uh, a Catacon updates. There really isn't any yet. Uh, we're still in a holding pattern waiting for the DCC to get back to us. I expected to hear back from them last week. Did not happen. Uh, frustrating. But I have my fingers crossed, even though Caleb's the only one that can see that. Uh, that we will hear something this week and that will allow us to make some decisions and that will kind of open up a floodgate of activity and we will be able to start making some decisions and moving forward. Uh, and then the lastly for me, uh, one of our recent episodes, we had uh, Mike Shea, Sly Flourish on. We talked about maps and minis and theater of the mind and so on and so forth. And we got a comment on the episode from someone who goes by old school DM. And uh, was very nice about it, but had some issue with how we presented some of the higher scale options, particularly we kind of equated Dwarven Forge as the sort of ultimate version of 3D terrain. And old school DM said that that's not accurate, that uh, you can do a lot more with just craft stuff that doesn't cost nearly as much as Dwarven Forge. So he he said basically us equating how much it costs to do that wasn't truly representative of how much it costs to do that. So thank you, Old School DM, for listening and commenting. And anyone out there who wants to find out more about crafting, Old School DM does have a Twitter handle. I'm also part of a Facebook group that used to be called Scotty's Crafting. I think it's changed the name now. I'll try to find it and throw it in the, in the show notes where they kind of it's like a group for helping to do that sort of stuff so taking styrofoam and cutting out dungeon tiles and all kinds of crazy stuff so if you're interested in that i'll have some links in the show notes getting a getting the right dry brush techniques and levy 
I used to be a hobbyist. I have oh. no time anymore, sadly, to do any of that. And I've got a, a pile of very nice figurines and uh, a little uh, dioramas to paint, but uh, at my homes, uh, at my uh, modest place. But uh, yeah, I miss that. So, hey, hello to all the hobbyists out there. We love you. <laughs> Uh, and then just to wrap that up, uh, Jen Gagney, hope that's close, who is one of our patrons, one of our big supporters, comes to a catacomb every year. She is also now part of the Nerd, uh, Nerdarchy, Nerdarchy, I can't pronounce words, uh, network. Uh, she does tokens. She posts her art on Twitter. It's really awesome. I'll put links in the show notes as well. Uh, but she runs a lot of games on Roll20, and we are going to do an episode over Twitch where she is going to show how she does Roll20 to simulate those types of things, how she can add maps and monsters and dynamic lighting and all kinds of those cool things that Roll20 does that I never took any time to figure out how to do uh, as like a tutorial. So that's going to come up very soon. It'll be live on Twitch so you can see what she's doing, and it will also be audio only if you want to try to keep up that way. So that's all my... um, Announcements, Caleb, do you have anything like maybe something about Dragon Meat, perhaps? Yes, indeed. Dragon Meat, the uh, London tabletop RPG big convention, was uh, took place just last weekend. Wow, it feels like it was a, a month already. So much things happened in the meantime uh, internally. Uh, yeah, Dragon Meat, double the size, big success. Uh, I think everybody had a very good time. Over there, not only Dragon Meat, but we add our little corner, the podcast zone, which is bending together. This year, we had around 24 shows which were represented. So tabletop RPG podcasts for the most, but some streamers also, Twitchers and, uh, Swartscoats Soundscapes who make, uh, Soundscapes for your D&D game, which you can find on YouTube. Uh, that was a lot of people. Uh, that was great. I received a, a good feedback from that. Uh, my only little uh, message for everyone would be, well, first of all, I hope everybody enjoyed meeting the, the show host there. Second, personally, I find that we could do things back a bit more family friendly. So we'll make an effort on that next year. And and yeah, that's it. So I recorded there, uh, I think what will be a couple episodes. I recorded with the OWE Roll podcast, uh, Call of Cthulhu actual play, which involved and will be shown on the RSS feed of Wizard on the Wind, which involved a player from Demipia, which involved another player from Champions RPG. I helped the Coriolis Effect interview a couple people. I helped Geek Speak, Big Red Barrel interview people, as well as the Pocket Mimic. So, uh, yeah, I just cannot name all the people who took part <laughs> to that. The The only thing I can say is that a lot of discussion has happened since last weekend, and a lot of these people are really keen on doing much better next year, and we got now a team to do this big podcasting event, which would be this unique things where listeners can meet show host and uh yeah and engage with them so it, it's very exciting very cool all right so before we jump into our main topic let's let everyone know how they can get a hold of us you can find me on twitter at the rpg academy and you can find my normal co-host caleb at the caleb g and you can email the rpg academy at the rpg academy at gmail.com and you can find me on twitter at rollistpod that's R-O-L-I-S-T-E-S-P-O-D. Fantastic. 
Ah, so let's get on with the main topic now. If it's a big and complicated topic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so today we are here to talk about rules, but not only. The way I introduced it, this subject to Michael was speaking about constraints, but maybe the word is not clear enough. It comes a bit from my background as an architect. Also, the fact that English is not my first language. But what? <laughs> it was my first accent. We have we have the same accent. I, th I think prob people are probably having trouble distinguishing who we are, actually. Yeah, about that, just a side note about the uh, the actual play Call of Cthulhu. Um, Camille from DemiPR attempted a Montana accent, and I will leave to the US listeners to tell us if it was accurate or not. I'm, we're, we're not quite right, sure. I'll, I will definitely have to check that out then. So, um, so yeah, the idea is uh, that the so the way things people are seen uh, things are seen by people has evolved quite a bit over the last few years people used to be extremely rule abiding setting abiding respecting the canon reading a lot about all of that and being very strict about following that and now over the years i think there's been a very positive approach to say well actually we should be much more relaxed about that uh, you know, you can come up with whatever you want. You know, you can, you can circumvent any rule if you think it helps with the fun, etc. There's no reason to, about having a character die for no reason and this sort of thing. So the sort of general idea I see on Twitter, in blogs, etc. today is freedom, 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 freedom equals creativity. Freedom helps creativity. And again, as an architect myself, I don't feel it gives the whole picture. I think constraints and like uh, abiding to rules and canon, uh, challenging yourself actually can support in a different way when it's balanced your creativity and in the end your enjoyment of a role playing game. So how do you feel about that, Michael? I see you making faces. Heretic, burn the witch. Uh, okay, no, actually, in large parts, I agree with you. It's kind of our brand, you know, that the whole focus on funding, and I do fundamentally believe in that. I do think that, that is really, really important. But I do want to acknowledge that in some particular groups, for some particular players and tables, it's more fun if you follow the rules. And so, by our own motto, that means you should follow the rules because that's what you find fun. And I, I think, and I'm going to speak for you a little bit, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Part of what you were talking about is staying true to the game that you're playing. I have said over and over again, D&D is my favorite game, but I have been told by many people that the game I play isn't really D&D anymore. I have changed it so much by bringing in elements from other types of games and becoming so freeform with a lot of things that it really isn't D&D anymore. We call it D&D, &D and we, we use some of the trappings like classes and spell levels and that kind of stuff. But to anyone coming from the outside, it's not actually D&D. &D. And I, I think that's fair. I do think that that's, that's a fair, uh, I don't think it's a criticism, it's fair observation. So if we're going to play a game, and I think settings help make this a little bit more clear for me. If we're going to play a setting, a game that has a specific setting to it, like Star Wars, for example... And then we're going to throw out all of the background, all of the canon, all of the story, all of the elements that make it Star Wars. 
Are we actually playing Star Wars or are we playing something else? Which is cool if you're going to play something else, but now we're not playing Star Wars. So why are we saying that we're playing Star Wars and why are we using a rule system designed to facilitate Star Warsian stories if we're actually going to play Warhammer 40K or if we're going to play something to do with the Inquisition or we're going to play something that has something to do with uh, folklore? Is that kind of, am I speaking for you okay there? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm completely okay with that. Uh, again, we, I cannot stress out, uh, this is going to be the last time I said, but uh, if you are having fun, you are doing right. Uh, I'm just suggesting <laughs> a way to explore other things and maybe have different kinds of fun or even more fun. Uh, I think the example you, you take is very good. Uh, I'm going to take one which is my, my favorite, which is similar, which is Star Trek. In my experience, I mean, I have absolutely no issue. And again, it's not my business. If you take something like Star Wars and adapt it to something you, you to try something different, uh, and you enjoy it. My, my main concern is that I notice that a lot, uh, often, uh, people take something which is canon and a specific setting, they amend it, but rather than make it something more different, something more unique, they tend to smooth what makes that thing different from other things in the first place. And my favorite example with that is the setting of Star Trek. And I've got very strong views about Star Trek. And <laughs> I respect people who don't have those views. It's fine. Again, people enjoy their thing. But my personal view of Star Trek is that it's interesting because it's something different from a lot of other science fiction brand in the way that it is positive in the way it sees our future and that's what makes it very unique so when i started my project of running a star trek campaign i invested quite a bit of energy with my future player and we're going in the this topic of session zero because as you say you're not playing dnd if you if you don't play dnd that's uh, what qualifies as dnd for some people it's fine as long as your players are happy with it but so with Star Trek, I said, okay, we're going to play Star Trek. This is a campaign. And immediately my players came with, oh, I want to play a Klingon. Or oh, this very violent thing happened in my character's background. And I had to come to them and say, look, okay, you want to play that? Uh, I, I don't agree with that. It was a case of a game master saying no. <laughs> Cringe. <laughs> but before starting the game, uh, what I told them right. is, Look, I'm all for saying no before the game starts. So what I told them is quite simply, look, the idea is Star Trek, and we're going to try to have this game again in this setting, which is very different from what we just finished playing, which was Warhammer 40k. And what I was saying, if, if to change Star Trek and it looks more like Star Wars or Warhammer, there's no real point to play Star Trek. We are kind of losing the specific flavor of them, of it. And it's challenging as a game master. First, with my players, I had to explain them on a regular basis. Okay, you need to come up with something interesting with your character, but it won't be something involving violence, uh, poverty. Uh, you need to come up with something which is still positive to some extent. They're still creating story, but not with the tropes which we are used so much with in so many brands which are different than Star Trek. Uh, so that was a challenge and I had to come up with adventures for them. It was a challenge also. It was in the academy so people would not die. The resolution of the scenario would not rely on the use of violence again. Plus, uh, 
another constraint challenge I set myself was I wanted I wanted each adventure to highlight a specific a, a specific aspect of Star Trek. Uh, could be a piece of technology or some value of Star Trek, like infinite diversity and an infinite combination. So these are a, a set of challenges, constraints I gave myself, which I believe in the end made that campaign very special and very different from others. Uh, that's also something, uh, sadly Tanner is not with us today, but that's one of the thing with Lord of the Rings also. That's very special and specific. There's a lot of court scenes, uh, there Wait, is violence. Lord of the Rings or Legend of the Five Rings? Legends of the Five Rings, sorry. It's very specific and different from D&D in a number of ways. But you could still play Legends of the Five Rings in a very D&D manner. But then what would it be? It would be just Dungeons and Dragons with a Asian overskin on it. And and you're missing a bit something. If, you, if you're having fun, that's great. But at the same time, yeah, you, you're not trying something really different. You're not really going to an Italian restaurant instead of going to a, an, a Chinese restaurant. You're just having some food with a bit of spices in there, but it's not, it's not the real deal. It's not the full experience. Um, again, I don't disagree with any of that. And, and I've, I've become more and more sort of self-aware of how I run games, uh, partly because of this podcast. And, you know, I try to give advice on how to, how to run games. And so then I have to kind of evaluate the advice that I'm giving, particularly now that we started doing panels. And I want to make sure that I'm helping people because that's the whole goal is, is not for people to run games the way I run them, but for them to run games that are fun for them and their friends and that kind of thing. And I have become more and more aware that I have changed things so much that it it it's it's something I need to be aware of when I'm trying to help other people run games. And one of the things that you said before we started recording that I thought was pretty interesting is that when you start to ignore the framework that comes with a particular game, it can lead for, to sameness. Yes, exactly. I, there's a type of character that I like to play. If there's nothing to stop me from playing it, then I will play it and if there is stuff to stop me from playing it and i ignore that then i'm going to play that and and i've actually seen that come up in some of our trial episodes the ones that are a little bit more wacky and free form we can just do stuff there's definitely some beats that happen over and over again with some of the pe players who play in the same ones over and over again because we we go to those tropes that we enjoy like like one of my favorite bits is to go through a drive-through in the game at a totally inappropriate moment, you know, like you're on the way to save somebody and you stop at Wendy's and get a double cheeseburger first. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that's oddly, that's oddly specific. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, but I do. I love going through a drive through when it doesn't make sense. I think that's hilarious. Caleb loves sandwiches. I can't. How many trials has Caleb's character made a sandwich? It happens all the time or he eats a sandwich, I should say. Uh, which is, I think it's hilarious. It makes me laugh. But when you kind of look back on it, it's like, that happens a whole lot. Maybe it's because we're kind of ignoring some of the framework. I, I don't know for sure. But I do know that there are there are elements to the game that create an experience. And if you're ignoring that framework, then you will never have that experience. You may have an equally as good experience, but you won't have the experience that the game is trying to provide and if not, then why are you playing that game? Yeah, I think the idea is that if you challenge yourself, there's a, re a reward at the end, which is to to do something 
different. And it's just human that you see that not only in tabletop RPG, but in, in a, in a lot of, a lot in the entertainment industry. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to, yeah, so, some things are, it's just natural to go to what you are used to. And uh, I think that's a different, something I mentioned before we started recording also. What we are discussing right now applies a bit more to seasoned players and game masters. As you get used, as you play a lot of things, you start having habits, uh, you still start having this old crutch you always re- lean onto. And at the same time, there's, there's a, real risk of getting bored of something at some point. And it's, that's why it's interesting to say, well, I'm going to force myself to attempt a few different things. And it could be, I'm going to try to rule another gaming system. I recently started game mastering dungeon world. And that is a challenge. I really consider it a challenge because it's very different to what I'm used to and what my player are used to. But we're already saying after three sessions that it's giving us an experience which is different from what we get elsewhere. Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, D&D 4th edition, when I started mastering it, I started doing so within mind, say, okay, I'm going to play something, there's a story, and then there's a combat taking place, and it's going to be very tactical, and what happens on the playmat happens. Uh, we follow the rules, it's like a board game, but we're going to learn to be very good and tactical and yeah knowing each move and each move on the grid matters and or we fine tune our characters accordingly and the charm is that dnd 4e is extremely different from dungeon world but if you start yes you know let's not use the rule of dnd 4e or you know what uh, agency i'm not gonna share that much of it in dungeon world slowly slowly those two things become samey but yeah coming back uh, so this applies for seasoned players i think the idea of framework constraints is also valuable to think about from the perspective of new players and game masters i've had experience where i think the 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 most straightforward thing is you've got a brand new player coming that person never played any tabletop rpg it's my personal view that it's better to give that person a pre-generated character. I agree. At first, uh, because this way they can concentrate on understanding what actually tabletop RPG is about before getting carried away into all the rules, all the background, being creative, etc. That might not apply to everyone, of course. If you have you have a friend who is extremely creative, who likes to write stuff, who does a lot of fan fiction, for instance, maybe the right approach is, on the contrary, to tell them, well, let's start with you writing a character, and then we get into the rules. So that, that might change between people, but I find the freedom, 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 liberty, let's ignore the rules can be actually sometimes um what's the appropriate expression uh it can freeze people a bit petrify them because there's just too many things to to process at once yeah yeah i think some of the, the common terminology i've heard is analysis paralysis where if you have so many options it's hard to choose one so if you could you know you can be a character where like you can be anything that you want uh 
okay, you know, where do I start? Well, in this setting, we are playing Firefly. So you're probably going to be maybe a smuggler, ex-military. You know, you're probably someone who either fights or works on the ship or is the captain or is the pilot. Okay, well, those are that's a framework. When you said I could be anything I want, I was thinking about being a broccoli person who's green and has, you know, I, I Groot from from Guardians of the Galaxy. There's nothing that says you couldn't be that in Firefly, but it doesn't really fit what I think of when I think of Firefly. Like Star Wars or Star Trek, yeah, there's all kinds of crazy aliens in those, but I don't know that Groot would fit very well on the Bridge of Serenity. Uh, so I think providing a framework for creativity is also as important as creating a framework for the rules, which is why I like pre-gens, because it gives you specific things to work on. Like, okay, you're going to be a pre-gen, you're going to be the fighter, to use D&D parlance. So right on your character sheet in the middle, there's a weapon. It says longsword or great axe or longbow. We're just going to talk. We're going to role play. That's just, you know, everybody, we're just going to talk to each other. And then when you decide to hurt someone or defend yourself, those are the rules you need. And then later we might add in a skill check. And then later we might add in this, that, and the other. But I think it's it's a way to ease people into the game. Like I consider myself a very improv heavy GM, but I am in no way an improviser. Like I know people on our show are trained improvisers. Matt's been doing improv for years. Scott's now doing some of it as well. If I were to show up at one of their improv performances and then just jumped in, I would crash and burn. I would probably get laughed off stage and not in the good way and go back and cry for an hour because I'm not actually an improver. So if they just try to throw me in, I would fail. But if they try to do some like, okay, this is the first game we're going to play. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is what you should look for. Then I could probably over time start to kind of catch on and pick up with it. Same thing with a role-playing game. I want to, I want to slowly introduce you into the game and specifically, I don't want to punish someone for not knowing everything. Uh, I wrote a thing on our website years ago. It's still one of my favorite things I've ever written. Um, this says the dice matter. And the idea was there that, yes, as a player, as a GM, when someone says, hey, I want to look for traps, I much prefer that they actually say what they're doing. And like, you know, I'm going to look here. I'm going to look there. I'm going to, I'm going to take a marble and roll it down the hallway, blah, blah, blah. All these cool things that are very evocative and, and they create a cool picture in my mind. But at the end of the day, we're still going to roll a D20 and that's going to determine whether or not you find a trap. I might give you a bonus or advantage or something because of how you describe it, but it still comes down to a die roll. So if someone's never played before and they say, Hey, can I search for traps? Okay, that fine. Roll your D20. Like we I'm not going to say because you didn't describe that you're looking specifically on the third tile from the right that you cannot find the trap that's there. That's I think that's like some of the worst version of gatekeeping I've ever heard and I saw I heard some podcasts when I first started listening that advocated that that that's how people would learn. Like cuz then their character got killed because they stepped on a trap. Well, next time they'll know to actually search correctly. I I do not agree with that. Fundamentally, I think that's, honestly, I think it's bullcrap. I think what the DM should do is say, okay, where are you looking? Or, you know, try to pull out a little detail. If that doesn't work, say, okay, roll your D20. 
And then you as the GM give them what you wanted them to do. Like, okay, so you pull out of your bag of marbles and you roll some down the hallway. You take out your hammer and you start tapping the door frame. And then there, the third tile on the right, it rings hollow. You, knowing from your training, put a shiv under there and keep the pressure plate from falling. Good job. And then hopefully next time they will do what I did, but they don't, they're not punished for it. They don't lose a character because of it but they still learn what we want them to do over time and how to be more involved in the narrative structure of the game. What I would even argue is that while, uh, again, it's about having things with different purpose, but while we are moving away in a lot of games with away from games with you know defined lists of skills, that list of skills is very valuable for a new player or someone new to a game, not even a new player, but someone coming to a, a brand new game, to give them a few ideas of what they can actually do and explain about their characters doing within a game. I mean, it's, it's quite simple. You look at your character sheet, you see, okay, what can this person do? Astronomy, uh, trap checks, and uh, stealth, and uh, bluff. Well, that's a start. Uh, if the list was different, just seeing that list gives idea to the person playing of what they could suggest. The minimum would be read the name of the skill and say, I do this, I do bluff, I do diplomacy, and not any explanation. And as you say, as a game master, while you try to give a bit more, de to get a bit more detail from that person, etc., and you encourage them with bonuses and this sort of things. But yeah, the list, the list on one hand, you can look at it as being this thing which says, are you good at diplomacy, but you're very bad at stealth checks? But on the other hand, it's, it's one thing which tells you, you are good at diplomacy, you should do it, and you are encouraged to do it. So, you know, that's the two different ways to look at one thing, which is the, yeah, the, the set rules, the set constraints of your character sheet. Yeah, I, I think it's an evolving process. Um, one of the things that I strive for as a game master is when we're playing the games, I don't want my players to look at their character sheet. Like I don't, I don't want them to play their sheet where I present a problem and they go, Oh, well my highest stat is fighting. So I'm going to fight my way out of this. I don't want them to do that, but there's an argument to be made that if their highest stat is fighting, they probably do fight a lot. If their highest you know, stat is persuasion, then they probably persuade their way out of problems a lot. So why is it a bad thing for them to do what they actually should be doing? And I think that's what kind of what you were talking about earlier, like, you know, a seasoned player versus a new player. If your players are seasoned, they've been around for a while, and they know they're playing the fighter, they're not going to look at their character sheet, but they're probably still going to fight a lot. The bard is probably not going to look at their character sheet, but they're going to try to, you know, charm people a lot. So they're not just looking at their sheet for the highest thing. They kind of already know, well, I'm playing the rogue, so I should be looking for sneaky ways to do things. But you're still engaged. I think that's the, the difference is that as a game master, we're looking at each other's eyes and we're staying in character and we're role playing. But you're aiming towards getting to a position where you can do the thing you're good at rather than time out, look at my character sheet. Okay, I want to bluff him. That's fine when you're starting, but I want to grow past that. And I think, again, that's one of the things where I have to check myself is that am I giving advice that should be for someone who's played for a year to someone who's never played before? 
I think that there's a step-by-step approach. And what is interesting, what you say is that it's not that people shouldn't be looking at their character sheets that at some point they don't need to because they know it by heart. It's a bit like Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man uh, counting the, the cards on Blackjack. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's doing it, but he's actually doing it. Right. But you just It's kind of in, ingrained. Yeah, and that allows more time and doesn't impair the experience of having this feeling of being a, in a flowing story it doesn't impair the, the flow. Uh, since we're talking about skills, I want to go in very shaky grounds because I know it's a, it's a, a very sensible topic about skills, but that would be a, a constraint I would set myself for a game and I would be interested into. Persuasion and intelligence check between characters, bluffs and this sort of things, or between characters and NPCs. I know, uh, and that's most of the way I apply this, uh, a lot of people look down on the idea that an NPC or a character could persuade another character using a skill check. Well, actually, I find personally, if you're a seasoned player and you used to be this smart character finding their way out of things all the time, it could be interesting to play a character which is not as smart, who happened to be convinced all the time of things. So you decide to play the uh, archetypal uh, barbarian, while you are used to play the bard or the rogue, and suddenly you go with the flow of saying, okay, I'm failing my inside checks, I'm failing my, uh, and they succeed at their bluff check, I'm going to believe them. As a character, as a player, I know what that person is telling me it's not proof, but as a gamer and playing, being in, in my character, I'm going to say my character truly believes what this very suspicious person is telling them, and you go with it. You go with the flow. I think that, that's sort of the thing I, I, I'm trying here to encourage people to do. It can be rules, can be setting, can be circumstances of the, the dice to roll, etc. It's try, consider going with the flow, going with the grain, rather than going against it. Do it a couple of times, see if you're comfortable with it. I'm just saying it might take you into interesting places. It could be very interesting playing a character very dumb, and you end up in weird places in the story because you were like, you know what, I know this is not the benefit of my character, but I trust my game master to make this experience interesting, and I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with my character being embarked in this crazy situation because uh, someone convinced him that, oh, I'm a poor person. Please help me against this very evil nobleman there and help me, uh, uh, yeah, what technically is actually mugging that person. But <laughs> you... Well, so, so here's my, my counter, which is agreeing with you, that... This is one of the things where I think session zero, everyone take a drink, which actually Kale Marty was. So I'm having a drink. So, for example, and I've used this one before, but uh, our our current campaign, which is on a high just unfortunately, wrought iron. Before the game started, we had established that Scott's character Dane was very manipulative towards my character Army because Army wasn't very smart and she was very gullible. So a lot of times in the game, you will hear Scott say, hey, why don't you come over here and do X, Y, or Z because of X, Y, or Z? And I say, okay. 
And I always go with it. But it, it's not a roll. Like, we don't, I don't roll a sense motive, and Scott doesn't roll a bluff check. I just say, okay, because that's that's who Army is. She believes Scott, or she believes Dane, I should say. And I think that's kind of what we were talking, talking about, moving from playing the character sheet versus playing the character, is if I'm going to buy in that my character is a dumb barbarian, then I'm not going to make you roll a bluff check. I'm just going to, okay, yeah, let's go this mean noble, and I'm going to go you know, hang him upside down and uh, make all the gold fall out of their pockets. But I think the cautionary tale is I've seen so many posts on Reddit and Facebook where a character will pump up their charisma and just take over a game. And they'll bluff everyone in the party. And they'll intimidate everyone in the party. And eventually they run the party. Everyone has to do what they say all the time. And they just sort of become in charge which isn't fun if it goes on forever. I think there's a natural inclination in the storytelling part of myself that, okay, fine, but eventually Dane is going to screw up. And and that's going to be an interesting moment because Army believes Scott, or I keep saying Army believes Dane, and keeps getting into these situations, but there's going to become a moment where it's like, wait, Dane lied to me, and we're going to have a moment that's going to be awesome that we would not have had otherwise but I know that moment's coming. If you're being manipulative and pumping out your charisma just to take over the party, then I don't think you're playing. I don't fairly. I don't. I, there's there's some there's an element there that I'm not a fan of that I don't want to happen. Which is why I've always kind of against characters being able to manipulate characters. It's more if you want to be, you know, bluffy and I want to be gullible. We're not going to roll for that. But I know at some point in time that I'm going to be able to. Something's going to happen that makes that an interesting decision for both of us and not just, I have to do everything you say forever and always. I think there are a couple of things. First, there's this, uh, I don't know, I'm lucky. Uh, I read a lot of cautionary tales about the uh, very evil game master or the very uh, competitive players between each other. I personally didn't read uh, such stories and I certainly uh, didn't live one. So, so, I, I, sometimes I find when I read online, we, we describe a lot, a worst case scenario of individuals which I'm never encountered. And if I did, I would be like, okay, right. I'm going to go somewhere else. See ya. But, uh, so that's, that's one first thing. The, the second one is I, I think that there needs, uh, it's, it's session zero and it's not even session zero. It's, Players are supposed to be around and to trust each other's, even if it's in a player versus player kind of game and setting. And, and yeah, people should not, you know, abuse each other uh, quite, quite simply. And that can happen through a uh, skill check of persuasion or through the use of uh, strength and violence within the game. Uh, you can do it without the rules it's fine again it's it's up to everyone what i think is you could consider the rule system as a tool for you to help that and give it a rhythm and so in the case of the gullible barbarian and the, the smart bard well the player could decide that uh, over time he wants to spend through the contact with the bard and noticing that bard may be lying to other people with the knowledge of, of the barbarian, maybe you could consider that your barbarian is learning about that and you start spending XP in that. And it's not for the sake of 
abiding for the rule, but it can be an interesting tool for you to find a rhythm within the game of progression and sort of find a mechanic about when this reckoning is going to happen because at some point it will be like, well, actually you did that. So that gives you a disadvantage to skill checks against me. Plus I started spending points into having my own inside skill to be higher. And at some point you reach a point where everybody gets better. And yeah, you know, that was working when we met first met, but that's not quite working anymore. And it's sort of a way of, you can concentrate on the game and it's when you got time off, you spend your XP and it's sort of, it's like these clocks I've heard about in, um, uh, what's it called? Blades in the Dark. It's just something which is there for you. And at some point it's going to go ding. And that's a reckoning. There's a moment you say, Oh, wait a minute. I forgot about that. It's about time to have this reckoning. And I'm using the, the rule system for that. So that's an approach. It's not, you don't have to do it, but if you go along the grain of the rules, that's actually a way you can, take advantage of the rules to to support the narrative to, to touch on skills again just just kind of quickly um again i'm the type of player I, i'm fine with a very small skill list i don't like a whole lot of skills but again i think that kind of makes the characters samey if everyone can kind of do everything then there's kind of no point in having a character that can do anything exactly um you know and there's some games that i think are more in line with that heist games, you mentioned Blades in the Dark, which is kind of what spurred that, is, you know, you I've never played Blades in the Dark, but just heist games in general, you usually have the hacker person, you have the charisma person, you have the muscle person, you have the planning person, whatever. And everyone's specialized. And, like, if you didn't have them, then you would lose. Like, you have to have their specific talents in order for this heist to go off. But if everyone can do anything, then you really only need one person because they can do everything. And I I think it's important that the game still give you the opportunity. Like I, I'm okay with not having a skill that says rope use. That, that if you haven't put not, you know uh, training into using a rope, that you can't tie a knot. But I do think that there should be some things like you know unless you're a particular class, you can't do a certain thing, or your chances are so much lower. You know, like the barbarian can still say, you know what, I'm going to try to disarm this trap. Great. Roll a d20. Because one way or the other, this trap is 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 not going to be hurting anybody else because either you're going to set it off or you're going to, you know, disable it. That's There's hilarity. There's funny moments that can come out of that. But that should be a one-off. It shouldn't be that the barbarian is always disarming the traps while the rogue is, you know, swinging their greatsword at people. Because if that's what you want to play, then maybe don't play D&D because that's not really what D&D does which is my way of kind of bringing this all the way back around into a circle that choose the game that you want to play for a reason and then play that game. And if you're not having fun with the way that game works, consider lessening the rules or switch games. Exactly. And it's really this idea of going against sameness and the idea we're talking about skills and character classes, the specificities of each character classes push you in the direction which shapes your experience. These are set constraints by the creators or the games or by the players ahead of the game. But you can even have, you can even set yourself constraints 
which gonna enrich your game by taking you in places where you with ideas you did not consider before. A good example of that, and that's from you, uh, Michael. It's a synergy session. By constraining yourself to adopt two pick cards from a magic pack of cards, you come up with ideas, but you set yourself, okay, I need to fit that card, maybe not this one, but this other one, right? in that story. And that shapes the story and gives you idea and gives you something which is different than if you would have been sitting at your desk in front of a blank ta- uh, page and be like, okay, I can write absolutely anything right now and you're like uh and you're just gonna have the same ideas you have all the time unless you are this crazy creative person and about that the reason i like this topic is because i find in popular culture there's a big image of this very creative person this individual alone having all these ideas well first of all there's a lot to say about whether or not that person was doing his stuff or her stuff completely alone or interacting with other people can be his editor can be if he's a writer can be a producer if he's a movie director can be the script writer etc and and then the, the idea that i mean i'm thinking of a movie i really enjoyed um stranger that fiction which is a, revolves around a, a writer played by Emma Thompson. And you see her going out and looking at things, random things happening just to give her an idea of something to write. She's getting from outside stuff which inspire her. And that's the way I see constraint. These are outside elements which you accept to take in, take in and turn into something interesting. Okay. Um, so you're moving up synergy session. I do, you know, that's one of my favorite things to do. It's pretty common. And I think I've even said it on the podcast before, but you know, there's that adage that if you tell someone to write a story, they'll stare at a blank page. If you tell them write a story and it has to have a horse in it, then they'll start writing. So giving them some, you know, limitation or specificity they have to include can spark the imagination. Uh, the first time we recorded this, when you talked about constraints, my thought was it was those things where the DM says, okay, everyone has to be from the same village uh, because we're starting off as kids. And you're like, but I wanted to play this character concept that I had before the game started. Okay, too bad. In this game, you can't do that because this specific game, I need everyone to be from the same village. I need everyone to be human. I need everyone to be wizards or no one can be wizards because there's no magic in this game. Um, and I think that's a discussion for another time, but I think it falls into sometimes those restrictions can make you more creative. You know, it's like the whole, you know, uh, necessity is the mother invention. Yes. If I have to be a character that has to be from this small town, how can I do that and still play a character I want? Like that can spur my creativity to come up with what it will possibly, I will say more likely, possibly be more interesting than the one I have already been thinking of that had no restraints whatsoever. It forces you to think harder about an idea you might already have. It also also forces you to assess between different ideas you might have which one is the best. You have to pick one of the three rather than doing the three of them. Uh, the last time we recorded, <laughs> we had a discussion about uh, Star Wars and Joes and the fact that something like if you take the Empire Strikes Back, the original idea was n- of the the Battle of Hoth was really not 
what we now have and enjoy because George Lucas wanted some tanks uh, with, uh, you know, something rather classic, really. And then production failed, stuff happened, and they had to use models. And then we got the ad ads. Uh, Joe's, what's great about Joe's is that you don't see the creature for most of the movie. I think a lot of people agree that what's worked so well with this movie. Well, at first they wanted to show the creature much earlier, but they had trouble with the puppet. It's, yep. it, it forced people to be, okay, what I want to do in this movie, what I want to do in this game, what, what's the important bit? I had all these ideas, but I want to do this, all this bit, which is the most important. Uh, I got a budget. I need to, to restrain myself. I got a budget in development points or experience point to create this character. I cannot buy all the skills I want, which are the one which are very, very important for my character. What are the one? which defines the character. It needs, it requires someone extremely brilliant and disciplined when you tell them you can do whatever. I find it, it's, it's fun create, creating high level characters in D&D, but it's challenging. It's a special oh, yeah. type of challenge to do that, not to min max it completely or on the other end, having just someone who is a jack of all trade. And yeah, and uh, I mean, your concept could be I'm a jack of all trade with a high level character. Why this other character would be specialized into something, but uh, yeah, it's it's difficult. So constraints are helpful. You were mentioning improv. Well, improv, there's a lot of constraints. There's rules. There's habits. There's uh, tells between people participating to understand each other what they are trying to do, what they're about to do. You got the audience giving up giving words or concepts and then the improviser who are working with them with that they're, they're not just showing up and improvising something crazy on the spot because the truth is uh, <coughs> they would have difficulties drawing inspiration from from the go like this yeah i think uh from an improvising standpoint the the fact that they can take a suggestion and still make it funny is part of the uh part of the experience like if i could come there with a pre-written script that's not improvisation that's you know me acting out a two-man play or three-person play or whatever but when they're like you have to be an astronaut on neptune who's the president and a mailman all right how do i make that work and if they do it it can be very very rewarding and it creates a story that you would not have because if i was writing a story i wouldn't be the president mailman on neptune Going back to tabletop RPG, I really enjoyed, uh, shameless plug, but for you, I really enjoyed <laughs> the recent trial of masks. Uh, I got myself the game for Christmas now. I'm going to run this game, but it's very interesting to see how, because it, I really like how so people say, Oh, powered by the apocalypse is liberty. Uh, you can do whatever you want. It's not as constrictive as uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I don't quite agree with that. It's just a different set, again, of constraints. And I find it very interesting that if you had played, I I'm deeply believe that if you had played the same scenario uh, using Mutants and Mastermind, which is not a bad game at all, you would not have explored the ideas which I enjoyed in that episode, which are very specific to Mask, which is the fact that 
you engage with older superheroes and there's drama happening with that. There's drama between the characters. It's about relationship. It's about being uh, angsty and not comfortable in your own skin and you're a superhero, but uh, you, you do you have the confidence or, or that? And all of that is supported by the rule system of masks and powered by the apocalypse. And it's it's very fascinating. Yeah, I, uh, I I will say we're we're gonna try. Fingers crossed. We're gonna try to do a live recap uh, of that mass game this coming Wednesday. Which, if I can, this was gonna come out Tuesday, but no promises. That game opened my eyes in a, in a lot of ways. Like I have said for a very long time that D and D is a cooperative storytelling game. I am now of the opinion that is not true. Masks is a cooperative storytelling game. There's a difference there, and I, I've I've finally seen that, and I still love D and D. It's still going to be my favorite game, but but the way Ma- I think Mass is a brilliantly written game. I think it does exactly what it tries to do. the The rules that are there do, in fact, in inform the type of game that you're playing. Like you said, if we play that same scenario with a different game system, it would not have come out the same. It might have come out just as good, yeah, but it would not have come out the same. And seeing that game work that well because i played a couple power by the apocalypse games before and was not impressed i was very impressed with that game but it also is a game and again we're going way off topic here that is reflective that's my terminology for it where you make all these decisions the mechanics are all involved and then you have a scene but you have to so you kind of reflect on how you want everything to look outside of the mechanics and then you kind of present that that's that's where it's like Okay, I want to rush in. And then he's like, okay, you got to roll. What did you roll? Based on what you rolled, you got to make some decisions. Based on those decisions, you then will tell me how this looks. And I don't know that other games, not all games, but some other games do things that way in a well in a way that is that well done. But I don't want to spoil everything. I guess hopefully the, the mass uh, recap will be very interesting. I, oh, I really loved that game a lot, so... Anyway, any final words on constraints or rules, frameworks for role-playing games before we wrap things up? Uh, I would say give them a go. Um, I'm giving a go to Dungeon World. Uh, it's different. It's yeah, and but I'm trying to be earnest in the whatever you approach. In can be a setting, can be a rule system, can be a game. Try to be earnest and go along the grain with what it is, both as a game master and a player. And challenge yourself. Go out there, try different games, uh, set yourself challenges. I mean, it's it's just like a video game. You know, you got achievements. Do this without killing anyone or do this with uh, half the budget or uh, with one uh, hand behind your back. It might be really fruitful in your gaming experience. All right. I think that wraps things up for today. As always, we will throw it out to our audience. If there's uh, any experiences you have had that fall in line with this episode, when you have used the rules and it worked out great, or you've ignored rules and it didn't work out as well, or any mixture combination thereof, please let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, on our Facebook page, uh, in the comment section of this episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Caleb, Thank you so much for joining me. Once again, where can people find you and your show on the internet? Uh, you can find me pretty much any, anywhere typing Rollist Pod. So Rollist with an S. 
I'm on Instagram, Twitter, iTunes. Uh, we got a web page, of course, Facebook. Uh, yeah, if you type Rollis, you're going to end up with uh, a bunch of French role-playing game website and my own. And usually I'm on top uh, <laughs> with the geolocation settings of your browser. Uh, beside that, uh, yeah, look into so Le Drinks and Dice. It's our monthly little meeting of role players here in London. It's quite cool. It's got people from a number of different clubs. Uh, we don't play games, but uh, that's the idea. You show up there, people tell you about their clubs, people tell you about your table, and you can find a game to join on another night. Uh, and you have a drink and a fancy pizza. It's really nice. And uh, yeah, sh- check out also uh, hashtag podcast zone. It's very likely you will find me and you will find a, a number of other podcasts who participated to a little podcast zone in Dragon Meat and a lot of them are very good and I recommend them. And you might hear from me, I don't know when, but on the RPG Academy for a new bonus show. Ooh, teasing. Ooh, oh, yeah. You minx you. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, uh, as for myself, obviously, you can find me at the RPG Academy on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram, but I never use it because I'm, I'm a terrible person, but it's there. Uh, our website is therpgacademy.com. Um, I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes for some of the stuff we've talked about, so please check that out as well. Uh, but with all of that out of the way, this has been Michael. And this has been Kalum. And this meeting is adjourned. We will see you next time. Okay, so it has been way too long, and I seem like I say that every time we do this, so I'm sorry, uh, since we've acknowledged some of our new patrons, as well as read, read, one of those, our new reviews. So I'm going to do that today. I'll go ahead and kick Caleb off so he doesn't have to stay for all of this part, so it'll just be me. Uh, but as always, we want to thank everyone. If you Uh, Have not yet rated or reviewed our show, please consider doing so. If you're on iTunes, it's easy to do. If you don't use iTunes, because a lot of people don't, uh, you can go to Stitcher Radio. Even if you don't listen to us on Stitcher Radio, you can still use Stitcher Radio to leave a review. But first, we're going to acknowledge our newest patrons. So these are some of the people who have joined us recently and are pledging their support towards our show. And I know we talked at the top of the show about how Patreon is changing things. I get that. But as of yet, fingers crossed, knock on wood, we have not lost any patrons. Uh, So please consider joining in and uh, helping support our show. And then we'll we'll figure out what we want to do if Patreon keeps doing silly stuff. But for now, uh, we want to thank Jim Cushman, Jameis McNerney. I'm sorry, that was terrible. Christopher Gray. Matthew Scring Polich, uh, Nick V, Jay Robinson, Sheriff Jetsarian, love the name and I love the icon, Curtis Davies, Michael Pruitt, Andy Olson, Nathan Bailey, and MCF. Thank you all so very much for supporting our show. We are now about $330, though again, I don't actually get that much, uh, but I'm pretty sure this is the highest that our Patreon has ever been. So thank you all so much, and um, hopefully we'll get this Patreon thing worked out soon. And then I would just mention, we do have a Discord now, if anyone wants to join in. We are in the process of making a patron-only channel, 
but it's actually open to anyone who listens. Uh, I've already been pleasantly surprised with how much interaction we've had over there. And I think we got a couple of games that are in the process of being put together, like one shots. And uh, that would be awesome if you wanted to get involved with that as well. So thank you very much. And now on to our reviews. All right. Our first review is from Mumphrey999. It is titled Great and Varied Disc and then it cuts it off. I'm going to guess discussion. The RPG Academy puts out a lot of quality content, whether actual plays, discussions, interviews, and Kickstarter previews. Great stuff, Michael. Keep it up. Also, a Catacon is live again this year. Thank you very much, Mumphrey999. Next up is from Jimmy and Vanessa. If you listen to this show, dot, 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 because it cut that off again, There are lots of RPG podcasts out there, but regardless of the genre, the system, what dice you use, don't use, or misuse, this is the show you need. They not only cover RPG topics and mechanics, but they also have live plays, funny stuff, candid talk, you name it. Give them a try and you will not be disappointed. Thank you so much, Jimmy and Vanessa. This next one is by Bonzalopper, who is a friend of the show, John Neary, and it's titled A poem. So many years of RPG advice, one might think, yeah, that'll suffice. But not these guys, no sir, not them. It ain't over till, well, you know how that ends. So give it a listen and come to the con. A catacon, that is, but don't get me wrong. The APs are fantastic. The detention is tops. You'll have to go digging to find any flops. But flops is a strong word. All the episodes are keen on teaching you something you may not have seen. Oh, come on, start tonight. Please don't put up a fight. You know if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And it ends with a kissy face and a unicorn emoji. I want to also thank uh, Dr. Seuss for uh, me being able to speak somewhat in rhymes coherently. But thank you very much, John. Next up is Epic Level Podcast by Danny Neary, also friend of the show. Where to begin? It all started with the GM advice to new players enrolled into absolute greatness. Whether you seek advice, interviews, reviews, hysterical commentary, or killer actual plays, this is the place to be. These are genuinely good people putting out the highest of quality podcasts. The content is original, well thought out, and engaging. I would agree with two out of three of those. They engage their listeners and cheerfully welcome new ones to the fold. The community of faculty and listeners is unmatched so much that they started their own convention, a catacon. Here, everyone is welcome to meet and play together. I've never felt so at home at the RPG Academy event or at a catacon. Find a show and start listening. You'll be happy you did. I'm not going to make any more snarky comments. Thank you so much, Danny. Next up is Great Show by Land Eric. Listen, and if you like them, throw them a buck a month on Patreon. I like the simple, straightforward nature of that, and hopefully Patreon gets its act together and I can continue to support that. Uh, Next up is I Find This Podcast Invaluable by 86That. I came back to RPGs after decades away because my kid became interested in D&D 5e. The fastest way to get yourself up to speed wasn't available when I was young, listening to passionate podcasters discuss their love for role-playing. This podcast provides practical advice, a helpful and encouraging attitude. You're doing it right. And best of all, it stirs the enthusiasm you may have lost or not yet found. When I was young, RPG groups were isolated islands. 
Podcasts like this give everyone access to the worldwide community of gamers. Thank you so much, 86That. And our last new review is by Crazed Artist, who's actually Jen Gagney. And it is titled Smart, Friendly, and Funny. This podcast is perfect for both new and aspiring GMs and DMs. I've been subscribed for years now, and it is well worth my limited listening time. In addition to advice and discussion, their actual play series offer great entertainment as well as examples to emulate. Thanks for everything, Jen slash Pixelscapes. Uh, you can find Jen's art at her website and find her on Twitter at Pixelscapes. Uh, you will not be disappointed, and thank you so much, Jen. All right, there you go. We are now all caught up on new patrons as well as reviews. If I missed someone, please understand it was a mistake of the head and not the heart, and let me know, and we will play catch up soon. So thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thank you.